0: You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 68. Hey there, impact drivers. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And today I'm talking to Sunil Prashara, President and CEO for the Project Management Institute, the world's leading association for those who consider project, program, or portfolio management their profession. As many of you know, I truly believe that we are at a critical juncture in the history and future of the PMO and the opportunity is in front of us to truly unleash the full power and potential of the PMO and project management to help drive greater organizational agility and deliver continuously high return on investment for the organization's strategy. And as it turns out, Sunil and I see a very similar picture for the future of PMOs and where the opportunities lie for PMO leaders to earn and keep their seat at the table. I hope this episode inspires you to embrace this opportunity you have to create an impact engine PMO in your organization. This episode is sponsored by my free masterclass on the six step process to build a high impact PMO. Whether you've got a new PMO you're setting up or you just want to up level your skills, This is the training for you. You'll learn exactly what it takes to show, not sell, the value of your PMO, how to pivot toward an impact-driving model that your business leaders will love, and finally earn and keep your seat at the table. Everything you hear today about return on investment, leveling up your role, and moving away from admin work to strategy delivery is covered in this training. Join us today at PMOstrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. Now, as all of you know, or are about to learn, I believe it is imperative that the PMO become that impact engine by ensuring the organization is not just achieving its strategy, but doing so in a way that creates the highest possible return on investment for the organization as quickly as possible. So with that, Sunil, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you joining us for this discussion.
1: Well, thank you so much for the invite. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so let's start off a little provocative, if that's okay, and address the elephant in the virtual room. There are some people who believe that as the world is increasingly automated, much of what the PMO has traditionally done could become obsolete. Is this potentially the end of the road for PMOs as technology takes over?
1: Great question. And let me first of all start by saying I actually think that I'm really proud that we have so much advances in in technology and automation. And I think it's an opportunity, not a threat. Because when you look at how technology has impacted the PMO, it's actually freed up a lot of tasks which typically have become codified and systemized. And there are a whole different, lot of different ways of doing it. So it's a repetitive task. And what that's done is it's allowed a PMO to actually broaden its horizons because a lot of the mundane work is now being handled by computers and and by systems and, and applications. And if you think about The kind of areas that maybe a PMO might want to focus on, it would be things like, you know, how do we actually create value? How do we focus on the value that's being created from the program or the project that you're working on or the multiple programs? That requires human interaction, you know. What about things like uh, looking at how you can get the return on the investment on this program? This is something that in the past, I think a lot of project offices and PMOs have felt it's not really part of their responsibility, but I actually think it is part of their responsibility because... They're managing multiple programs, they're deploying resources, they're looking. They're taking resources from other programs. There's an opportunity cost associated with it and they need to deliver on a program that someone somewhere who has had an idea is gonna generate a return. Right. And you know, so the people who really, really know whether that's gonna do that are the ones who are doing the work. And so I think that having an association about an understanding of the return on, on the investment of a program is becoming very important and therefore, by freeing up your time, by allowing automation to take its place, it frees up PMOs to do a lot more. And I, I'll just give you an example. I think it was two years ago we ran a report about AI and what is AI doing. And, of course, it's, AI has helped automate. It's helped to even bring cognitive thinking to help you in your decision making processes. So AI has had a profound effect on a whole bunch of areas like analyzing data, scheduling, etc. And that's great. And these are all tasks that you would cover in a PMO. But when it comes to the human aspects of the PMO, then technology can't really play a part. What we call the soft skills or the power skills, you know, engaging with your employees, you know, working with them to Establish the best way of of doing something or solving a problem without the need of technology, you know, having team building skills, having empathy, or even going up and, you know, when you're having to influence stakeholders, you can't just go wave a report in front of them that's been churned out by a computer. Sometimes you have to go there and you have to cajole people to give you resources to get stuff done. Sometimes you might even have to go and apologize. You know, you might want to have to go and say, I'm sorry that I've had to use five more resources more than I needed to do something. A computer is not going to say sorry. And if it did, you're not going to believe it, right? Because it's been been coded. So there are soft skills, there are power skills that a PMO can focus on beyond the technology. So absolutely no way do I feel that this is the end of the PMO. In fact, the exact opposite.
0: Right, exactly. And... You know, I've been telling PMO leaders for a long time, if you're worried that your job's going to go away with automation, then you were focused on the wrong things in the first place where you need to provide value is in the soft skills, in the organizational change management, the leadership, creating that connection to strategy. All those are things that computers aren't going to do well. And so if we can automate and streamline and optimize, it frees us up to level up and have a better conversation. Don't you agree?
1: I totally do. I I think that the more you can get repetitive tasks and systemized coded tasks automated, the more freedom that you have to really sort of think about what is it that you're trying to achieve? What's the best way to achieve it? What's the best working methodology for you and your organization to get work done in the most efficient way? Me as the CEO, I spend more time in planning and working out what I need to be done. And I rely heavily on systems to give me the insight that I need, but ultimately it's me who's making the insight. And you could argue that me and my leadership team is like a mega PMO. I mean, we're managing a whole bunch of programs, right? We're enabled by technology. We're enabled in this digital world, but ultimately it's people who are making the decisions and it's the insights of the individuals and their experiences that help you move something forward. We just completed what I call PMI 2.0, a major digital transformation in PMI. We went from a a manual workflow in the organization to a very digital one, multiple programs all going on at the same time. And of course, we needed experience and we needed people who've done that kind of stuff before and we needed technology to come and support us. And we had a lot of people working all in parallel across the globe together. And on top of that, we had COVID to deal with as well. And I'm very happy because, we all clubbed together, but it was the human side that brought that together for us to be able to deliver in 2020 on all those programs, which I'm super proud of. The technology helped, and it's good that it's there. But at the end of the day, it was the people skills and the ability to be able to critique even senior leadership who may think they've got the right answer. But nowadays, I think even people at very senior levels realize that they don't know everything. And there are you know, and I think that's another side that PMOs can bring to the table is that level of critique and question. Right. Whether this is the right thing to do or not now I really feel I'm on a mission here now to drive this I don't want to get in the way so if there's stuff that we're doing that's irrelevant let's get let's put that to one side you know let's just focus on the things that are meaningful that, that make a difference and the Pmo can be the coordinator of all of that right so It's a massive, massive responsibility.
0: Yes, and this has been a passion for me for a long time because after spending 15 years inside organizations with PMO leaders, I spent 12 years on the board of PMI chapters, by the way, in the D.C. area. And I have actually also five, six years ago, I started a nonprofit called Project Management for Change. Speaking of social responsibility, this nonprofit helps bring project managers together to launch projects for nonprofits in our local community that can't afford project management. So it's helping nonprofits learn project management and they come back year after year after year to these events because they are literally changing the world. And I'll tell you, Sunil, the project managers literally cry when they're coming out of the room and you ask why I panicked the first time I saw that several years ago. I was like, oh my God, we broke something. And they will tell you every single person that attends one of these events will tell you it is the highest impact day they've ever had as a project manager. And the reason is, I figured out, the reason is because they can see the outcome they're helping to create. They see the homeless veterans that are getting housing. They see the people that didn't have clean drinking water getting clean drinking water. They see battered and abused women and children being kept safe. So they get to see, because the first thing that the nonprofit does is explain the business problem they need solved. Can you
1: imagine, just just take that example. I mean, you know, imagine how that would inspire a PMO if they'd seen that. And that PMO is responsible for making that happen. You know, I mean, that, can you see how that would motivate and inspire a PMO to really bring, pool all of its thinking, all of its knowledge? They would want as much automation as they possibly can get. Why would it be considered a threat if they knew that it was going to, by using that technology, they can influence that, they can get people to have water. Then it doesn't become a, hey, you know, this is taking my jobs. It's, you're actually adding to it. It's additive. You're right. It's all outcome-focused. And one thing we failed to talk about was one of the most important things for a PMO is to move away from creating documents and schedules and moving towards an outcome, a true outcome, you know, and think that way. Then you get the tears that you're talking about. That's when you get, when when people own that, you know, this is my hard work. It's enabling this. It's doing this. Then you get those tears. I saw the same thing with the transformation in PMI. We ran all the programs. No way near the same kind of social responsibility Mm -hmm. side. But for ourselves, yeah. just the hard work that went into automating and dragging our organization from an underinvested infrastructure to a state-of-the-art digital infrastructure. You could see it in people's faces to say, oh, my God, I'll never have to do all of that again. Yeah. It's all manual now. The machine does it for me. Thank yeah. you. I can do other yeah. stuff. Right? So.
0: Exactly. Well, and that's why you had me within the first five minutes of meeting you last year, because I've been involved in PMI for 20 years. And you. we both know Lee Lambert. He and I are friends for the last 20 years. And right. so I've been about Carl Pritch and all these old school guys have been around since the beginning of time, right? <laughs> and so when you talked about the change that you saw and the value you saw project management can really bring to the table, you had me. I said, This is the enabler for the conversations that need to be I'll
1: happening. tell you where that comes from. And, yeah. you know, uh, is because I spent a fair bit of time in finance, 10 years in finance. And when I was in finance, it's seen as a really important role. If you're the CFO, and you say, we shouldn't be doing this, then the whole company's like with behind, you know, all the leadership. They'll right. say, okay, if the CFO says you can't do this, then you can't right. do it. When you're in sales, and that was the next role I had, you're making promises to people about something. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course I can build an extension to the side of your house in two weeks. Oh yeah, of course this car does not to sixteen in three seconds. And oh yeah, I'll be able to take all of your IT and transform it and give it back to you at a third of the cost and dah, dah, dah. They make all these promises. The minute they walk back into the office and they've made this promise, they throw it over the fence to the (laughs) operational guys. And they say, right, hey, you have to do this, right? And don't break my promise that I've made. You have to to deliver. Because if you break my promise, you break my relationship, and then I won't be able to do any business. So they put pressure on the delivery guy. And then the finance guy comes running up and says, oh, not only do you have to deliver it, but you've only got this much money to deliver it in. (laughs) <laughs> because I have to make a profit. And if you don't do that, I'll be upset with you as well. Exactly. So the poor program office or the, the delivery teams, the people that I spent years throwing deals over the fence to to deliver, the sales guy goes around in his, in his flashy car and his nice yeah. suit. And everyone wants to be a sales guy because it's, it's cool. Everyone wants to be the finance guy because it's important. And, you know, I'm the CFO. And, and when it comes to delivery, that's where all the hard work gets done. That's where all, But that's where the promises are made. Yeah, Those chaps are the ones that the finance guys come over and give them all sorts of hurdles. The sales guys chuck it over the fence and you deliver it. But the guys who diligently get it done, and if they don't get it done, they get it in the neck and they get, it, they get beaten and they get told off and they say they don't have any value. When I met PMI, I realized, actually, they're the ones that are making an organization. Without them, nothing happens. You can't make any promises to anyone without them delivering. And you can't make any money if you're not getting any projects to deliver. So if they don't deliver them on time, on budget, you don't make money. So the finance guy can go home and the sales guy, he can go home as well because you can't do what you said. So they're the most important people in an organization. That's why I joined PMI. That's exactly the reason why I joined PMI. Having had a fantastic career in sales and finance, these are the people that I massively advocate now. I love it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because they're the ones that if they deliver, not just the outputs, but also the outcomes, yeah. It makes the organization. It makes the sales guys look good. It makes the finance gals look good. You can make a everyone. promise. Yeah. No, They're
1: if, the third if, promise
0: if, deliverers.
1: <laughs> if the outcome is met and the delivery guys do that, it gives credibility oh. to the sales guy to go and make another promise.
0: Yeah.
1: And another one and another one. And so yep. you're enabling the sales guy. You're keeping yep. him in the job. Right. And so you look at it that way. It's a completely different perspective. And one of the things I noticed was how, humble the project management community was and i think that's because they have to deal with these people who have to keep throwing stuff over the fence to them and say deliver this now deliver this now deliver this and do it better and faster than you did it the day before and i was like oh poor guys now, come on i'm gonna help you so i'm like the worm that turned you know yeah, yeah
0: exactly <laughs> well and it's so true and i think it's the most underappreciated profession because people don't realize all that goes into it. And you have these poor PMO and project leaders who are like, wait, but we're really adding value. And, <laughs> but we've got to stop talking project management speak at people, yeah. right? We need to talk yeah. business speak to them because when we talk this project management speak at them, they're like, ah, I don't know, stop throwing templates at me, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to hear it. They yeah. don't understand it, but they don't need to. So if we can speak the language of the CFO, if we can speak the language of the finance team, the sales team, the marketing team, all the other teams, the technology team, right? If we can speak their language enough to help create and keep that alignment, I like to say being aligned from the start, right? You've got to be aligned right from the start, from the time the strategy is defined, all the way through, not just to creating the outputs, but achieving those outcomes. If the PMO can do that, and the only way to do it is if they're keeping everyone in the right conversations, bringing them along with them, all the organizational change, all the art, Of what we do if they can do that then they have their seat at the
1: table so just to reinforce that you know and i think that you can do all of that without thinking about doing all of that if you have an appreciation for business acumen if you have business acumen once you get the business and you get it at the sort of from a business context then you can dummy down your conversations for the leadership that's why i was saying earlier that you could actually find yourself leading the leaders yes in the direction they want to go and being the person that the leaders turn to to say okay is this real you know I, I need to know because I haven't got all the facts I haven't got all the things that I'm about to make a decision is this real do you think we can do this you know yeah. that when you get a CEO and I've done it loads of times humbly gone to someone and saying hey I think we're leaning a bit too far forward here we're going to fall over can we really do this and when they turn around and go yeah we can do this you know I'm good I'm like yeah. okay you're saying it it can be done so that you know get yourself into that post and yeah. then you can dummy down your discussion, you can speak their language, you're there, you've landed, you're relevant. So it doesn't matter what you call that. You can call it PMO, EPMO, FPMO, call it what you want. But yeah, you're yeah. Re- I call it relevance, you're relevant. Yeah.
0: And I call yeah. it in- impact engine.
1: <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> call it impact engine, that's right. So, and which is exactly what it is.
0: That's excellent. And... Speaking of business leaders and helping the senior leadership in the organization deliver on the strategy, one of the critical steps that I teach PMO leaders is to understand the business, the business they're in, and where the pain points are in the organization so that they can find the place to make that biggest impact, right? So what business pain points are you seeing in organizations today? And what do you believe the opportunities are for PMO leaders to really step into that role of serving the business and becoming that strategic business partner?
1: I think uh, it's a great question. And again, the first thing that jumps to my mind is traditionally, and up until I say COVID, one of the biggest pain points was resistance to change, for sure. You know, everybody knew that they were changing. And you know, it was painful for organizations and consulting firms to convince organizations that they need to transform and embrace the digital world, if you like, or embrace more technology. And people are scared of the technology. They don't know what it yeah. is they used to, you know. So it was very tough for, for organizations pre-COVID to really embrace the fact that they need to change. And sometimes that's, that change is a wholesale change, a cultural change, as well as a systems change, as well as maybe even a product or a positioning change. It can be very big. And people were scared of that. And I think that uh, what organizations are grappling with now is that, do you know what? Something can come and hit you so quickly right? That you have no choice but to change. So I think that post COVID, you're seeing that that one thing that organizations are grappling with, the resistance change has slightly gone away and people are saying, okay, you know, I get it. You know, I need to change and I need to change quick. And then the real thing that people are now grappling with is how can I sense something and respond with speed? How can I do that? So I think organizations and businesses, they got caught literally with their pants down because of COVID. It's taught so many lessons, you know, I mean, People say, "Hey, Sunil, it's a VUCA world, you know." And but it was a VUCA world when I was 16 years old, you know. A long <laughs> long, it was a VUCA world then. It's still a VUCA world now. But now, exactly. on to- on top of that, you've got this shock factor, right? Where right. organizations are so mature, they think they know everything, but they can still be shocked and they can't respond. Look at them. so many companies are on their knees because of COVID. So that was the shock. They didn't sense it. They knew about it. But they didn't sense it coming and they couldn't respond with speed, you know, and therefore they burnt lots of money. So I think if you look at what organizations are worrying about now, it's can I respond with speed? There are so many tools out there. Can I create options? Can I create choice? Can I use the right tool? Have I got people enabled who are ambidextrous? Have I got people that are almost like gymnastic in their mindset? So they understand structure. They understand strength. They understand technique. But at the same time, they can be nimble. They can be flexible, they can be fast, rapid, and they can still look elegant, you know, and they can be empathetic. So that's kind of like inclusive of the traditional project management and agile and beyond. So it's inclusive of all that, but and beyond. What else can I be? And I I call that gymnastic. So there are challenges that enterprises are facing. And I think the PMO has the opportunity to create a gymnastic mindset the rest of the organization can benefit from which is bringing all of those skills together
0: oh that's fantastic you know and it's funny because a lot of people were forced to change so quickly in the midst of all of the chaos of covid and what's interesting is you know people talk about change resistance all the time and my theory is people just don't like change being done to them right so people love change unless it's being done to them instead of with them. And that's a real art opportunity, I think, for PMO leaders is to, you know, to uh, all about the relationships and bringing people through change. And that's a real opportunity for PMO leaders in times of VUCA or not. But on the point of VUCA, what project have you ever seen that didn't have some volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity? That is literally the sweet spot of PMOs and project leaders. That is what we do for a living is yeah. take chaos the VUCA and bring order and bring outcomes and bring delivery of impact right so to me it seems like we have an incredible opportunity the more VUCA there the better for us because but we are uniquely more... positioned for that
1: yeah i would agree with that but i would say that it's been a VUCA world forever right it Always exactly. has it. But i Thank would you. add three more things to it i'd sure. add the need for speed yeah i'd add the need to be able to respond to shock very quickly and shocking okay this time around it was a pandemic we have issues with global warming we have issues with fires in california fires in australia they all have an impact we have issues with pollution we have issues with population decline in some parts of the world increasing and we have geopolitical issues that are happening right now which can have a massive profound but economy falling apart all over the place these are big shocks you know how do we respond to those you know and so speed response shock and then having a sensory organization -hmm. That can sense it coming. And so you can then prepare. And Mm -hmm. I think these are three additional things that I think you'll see add on to that VUCA capability, which again, a PMO can thrive off and leveraging technology and leveraging their own power skills to be Mm -hmm. able to do that and create an enterprise wide PMO. And again, this is something that Gartner was talking about a couple of years ago. Don't I talk that? I think there are three types of PMO they mentioned. They mentioned the PMO, and then they mentioned that. SRO, which I think is the the strategy, strategy realization, realization yeah, strategy <laughs> realization office, and then they mentioned the EPMO, which is the you know the enterprise wide PMO. And what they said last year, and I believe this, I think this is going to happen, is that uh, many organisations, in fact, fifty percent of, of organisations by twenty twenty two will be thinking about bringing all of the PMOs, the, the different PMOs that they have, the ones in IT, the ones in production or in operations, all the different places, bring them all together and create. And also the the SRO, interestingly, the strategic angle, bringing it all together and calling it the EPMO, the enterprise-wide PMO. And the reason is because now the realization that everybody's connected. And if you can have an enterprise-wide PMO that can advocate all of the different methods, the processes, create nimbleness, leverage technology, use technology, not be threatened by the technology, take it as an opportunity it can be the advocate for getting work done across the entire organization. And I think that's a big role in the future that PMOs are gonna play as the thought leaders. In fact, leading the leaders, as we were discussing it earlier, yeah. leading the business leaders about how to get work done. I can see PMOs playing that role beautifully as we go forward, but they need to think about reskilling, building those power skills, building those soft skills, and filling that void, You could, which is a void, that technology has created that space for you to develop additional skills.
0: Oh, that's great. So really it's the enterprise PMO as the enabler of organizational agility. Like that's what business leaders are looking for is more organizational agility so that they can shift and be nimble, respond to changes, handle whatever the next crisis is or handle the next market opportunity that creates a game changer for that business. And it's all right there in front of them with the PMO, at the center of that, like I like to call them an impact engine driving that organizational agility. And I think that's beautiful. And it's so exciting for me. And it's what my students are seeing. It's what I'm seeing with some PMOs globally. And so I believe though, that it sounds like the future is going to require PMO leaders to think a little bit differently about their role. And I believe there are some mindset shifts that need to happen in order for PMO leaders to really embrace, step up into that strategic business partner function. So Think the mindset shifts are that you see that will need to be there for PMO leaders to really get their seat at the table and keep it in you know going forward.
1: I think that the first thing is that it's not just about managing the changes and enabling the change. It's understanding what the change is there for. Yes. So I think building a, an appreciation of your enterprise, the company that you work for, its business, yeah, you know what it's there for, its purpose is very very important. And and I think business acumen skills in a sort of very broad terms, I think is very, very important. And I think that the more that a PMO can have an appreciation of the business, the market, the challenges of the market, the sea that that ship is sailing in, you know, the headwinds it's going to face, that's very, very important because then you put context to the programs and the projects that you work on. And you can bring your own expertise to people who are coming up with the ideas but not necessarily know how to execute those ideas, which you would as a PMO would know. So it's all well and good having great blue sky ideas, but if they're not deliverable, you know, then that's all they are, they're just blue sky ideas. So bringing that critique is very valuable, especially at a time like now, when most organizations can't really afford to make a bunch of mistakes, because then, you know, the economy is the way it is. So I know people have been saying, you know, fail, but fail fast. Now organizations are saying, hey, if I can avoid a failure, I'd rather right. do that, you know? Right. And let's get practical about this, you know? I, I would much rather win First time, then through trial and error, win. Ultimately, I want to win. So I think that in answer to your question, they do have to rethink. It becomes a lot more business centric. And I think that you are the enabler. You have access to the strategy and the ideas, and you have access to the people that are going to get the work done, and you're the glue in the middle, right? right? And so you can't just focus on being just the glue in the middle, I think, in the future. You have to understand where the strategy folks are coming from, where the ideas are being generated, whether it makes sense or not. And you have to understand the skill sets of your employees and the people around you and maybe third parties whatever that you're going to bring together to make it done. That's a big role. That's a really, really big role and a super important role for the C-suite to know that they have in their organization. In fact, within my organization, I wish everybody had that skill set. I almost feel that the enterprise PMO mindset should be pervasive throughout the whole organization. And that makes the PMO even that much more important because that's where I'm going to go to To say, hey, help the rest of my organization have the same mindset that you have. And so I see them as taking a leadership role in the future. So that's some of the changes I think that PMOs need to think about. The other one actually that comes to mind that we were talking about a lot last year was that if technology is impacting the PMO, it's also impacting other parts of organizations as well. So finance people don't need to learn all about how to do double entry because systems will do that for you. You know, legal people don't have to remember all of the different case law that's out there because it's all been codified and systemized. And HR functions have got tools to help them to do all sorts of stuff. So tool sets and automation is influencing all functional areas. And when you see what's left, what's left is work that needs to be done. You know, it's almost project work. And so the need to have specialized functional areas is not taking a priority seat anymore. And the need to get work done is, and we call that the project economy, teams of people, agnostic of functional area, that could be finance one day, HR next day, legal the next day, moving from department to department or area to area or work stream to work stream or value stream to value stream, moving within an organization and conducting projects. And that's going to need a whole new set of coordination. Right. Right? And I see, I see the PMO playing a massive part in coordinating masses of teams within an organization moving from place to place, prioritizing tasks, deciding on which program and where resources get deployed. And I think they'll be playing a huge part, almost becoming operational in nature. Mm -hmm. You know, that will be the the status quo. That's the project economy. And again, relevance for the PMO.
0: Exactly. And this, Sunil, this is why I do what I do. This is why (laughs) my team goes crazy putting together the PMO Impact Summit, because we're covering all of these things across all of these different groups because we believe that these are the, the the knowledge and the skills and the resources they need to go do this because I believe wholeheartedly this is where PMOs are going to be and the opportunity is ours for the taking if we just shift our focus a little. But part of that might mean, and this is a buzzword that's out there, unlearning a few things. So... I'd love your perspective on whether or not PMOs actually, and PMO leaders and the people in the PMOs and the project leaders, do they need to unlearn some things in order to become strategic business partners? What's your thought?
1: I think it's impossible to unlearn anything. You know, I think you can forget stuff, but purposefully unlearn, it's very, very difficult. And also everything that you do in your life, whether it's at work or at home, goes to make you what you are today, right? So don't unlearn, please don't unlearn anything. It's an experience and you will be able to, you will find a time and a place where that's relevant now, a lot of what you probably would have learned, right, has been automated, and now we talked yes. about automation a lot today. But it's been automated, and you may not need to know the ins and outs of everything anymore, and you may not need to draw on that skill set because it's done for you. But that doesn't mean it hasn't been valuable, because as organisations push more and more responsibilities down into the organisation, into mm-hmm. more and more employees get enabled. That skill set of understanding the intricacies that sit behind that algorithm or that computer program, or that, that intricacy is very valuable for coaching and teaching and leadership, to understand Mm -hmm. as when people know where you're coming from and it's not just totally reliant on technology. I'll give you a good example, a a completely separate example. You know, outsourcing. I spent a lot of my life in outsourcing. I worked for Ross Perot and it was, he set up EDS and and I worked in that organization. Used to outsource IT. Very good because it created a lot of value for the business. But the business became reliant on the outsourcer. Right. So it got used to, when it outsourced the IT, and Perot Systems was providing the IT services now, if that service broke down or, or they couldn't do it, the mothership, the, the, the company that had outsourced, had lost all its knowledge about how to do that IT. So they were completely dependent upon Perot Systems all of a sudden. So The last thing you want is to unlearn stuff that will make you dependent on something which might tomorrow break or may not be relevant or may change and then all of a sudden you've unlearned it. Why would you do that? Yeah. So, so I think for those folks who have learned project management and, and the role of the PMO from early days, from the 90s is still as relevant as those who are learning it today in the 20s. You know, it may not be applied in the same way. It may not be called upon as much as it was before, but it's fabulous learning. And the fact that now you don't have to think about it as much, but you know that you could if you needed to, and sometimes you might need to, because nobody knows what's going to happen. What kind of shocks going to hit you? You don't know. What happens if the internet goes down? 100%. I mean, who knows? I mean, we were saying that, you know, what happens if uh, a lot of our business in, in PMI comes from China? And yeah, we were thinking, right. oh, you know, China will never go away. It'll be fine. But guess what? You know, right. thing happened in China and it hit us big. So somebody was saying, okay, we all go virtual. What happens if the internet goes down? Right. You know, how are we going to... So anything... Yeah, I know, but anything can happen. <laughs> My point here is don't yeah. unlearn anything. I hear that a lot, and I always tell you, you should always add on to what you've learned today. It's always relevant. Yes,
0: yes. You're, it's building blocks. And I can tell yeah. you, from, you know, as I mentioned uh, to you when we were chatting earlier, I built my first PMO in 1999. Wow. So I've been doing this for a long time. And I didn't have all of these other inputs to figure it out, <laughs> but I did, because I based it on what the business leaders did. I understood the business. I understood what we were trying to accomplish. And I asked them, how can we help solve your pain points, right? But I still today in my teachings with my students rely on things I learned back then. Right. And a lot of what I do is don't make these mistakes I made. And, Oh, I learned this really worked well. And again, and again, and again, do that. Right. So it's all based on what we've done historically. And, you know, and as I like to say, all that knowledge is helpful to you if you use it for good instead of evil, right? (laughs) If you use it to help you, you know, kind of level up and achieve those outcomes you're trying to achieve. So I think that's a really important message here is, you know, we've, we've, many of us started with, you know, a PMP or a lot of project management focus, not all PMO leaders, but many started with that hardcore project management background. And that's all useful to you to use as a foundation to then what, right? To then, be able to focus on being that strategic business partner, but still know how the sausage is getting made, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head actually, the business strategic partner that knows how to get stuff done is that glue between strategy and and reality, right? It's that line, we call it in PMI, we call it bright line, it's the line between strategic thinking and execution. That's a very special place, and, and PMO plays a very special part in that place. Uh, the skill sets, the people, you know, the way they have to interact upstream and downstream to make things happen, I think is critical. And actually, to go right back to the beginning, the fact that we have all this technology frees those people to learn a whole bunch of new skills like leadership, like collaborative leadership, like empathy, like all the all the stuff we call power skills. That just adds to all the experience. So don't unlearn anything.
0: (laughs) I think that's great. And it's, you know, there's all these buzzwords out there, right? You and I both have the, let's just hit that one, right? Straight between the eyes. And what does that really mean? And I think all of the, what we're talking about here is really creating an incredible opportunity for PMO leaders. And we're hoping maybe we could talk about some examples. You know, so PMI recognizes excellence each year in PMOs at events like the PMO Symposium where I had the honor of speaking last year. And that's actually where we met and began this conversation. <laughs> so do you have any reflections on what we can learn from real examples, real world examples of high achieving PMOs, such as the award winners of whom I actually know a few. Navy Fed was a client. I worked at Fannie Mae back in the day doing some of my PMO work. So I loved seeing how PMOs that have really been working hard to uh, get it done, right? And be that strategic business partner have had that opportunity. So. Can you talk about some of those award winners or organizations on your Global Executive Council and what you're seeing in the real world?
1: Yeah, so first of all, for those who don't know who are listening in, we have a number of different places where we go to sense and understand the world of project management and how it's evolving and changing. And one of the key one for us is what we call the Global Executive Council. And that's about 90 companies around the world uh, from all different industry groups that really share ideas about how work gets done, you know, and how they are addressing challenges that they have and they share those ideas and thoughts with us. And there are companies like Accenture, you know, Alibaba, a uh, very large, you know, Saudi Aramco, et cetera. And so we learn a lot from them about how the world of project management is evolving, what new skill sets are required, and what is happening to the PMO for them. And then also we run the PMO awards, as you know, and you mentioned Fannie Mae, they were the winners last year. They, they have done some amazing things. I want to talk about one of the runners-up because I actually went to visit their PMO. Mm. And it is state-of-the-art, and it was uh, Saudi Aramco and their yeah. PMO. And they, they were runners-up. And I think they had saved a billion dollars in a year of waste that they had managed to save, wasted time, effort, and wow. uh, efficiencies. A billion dollars. It's a massive PMO. And when I showed up there, it's state-of-the-art. I mean, it's super automated, that's yeah. for sure. But then still, teams of people there worrying about all of the oil pipes and you know the maintenance of those pipes and the build of factories all around Saudi Arabia and beyond. They're also creating a no-go zone for humans where animals can thrive and they manage and control that there as well. So lots of incredible stuff that, that PMO is doing. But if you look at, it's a classic example of technology and human skills coming together to create clarity in very, very complex situations. And a good example was, I know that some of their factories were attacked by, I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago, they were attacked by some foreign country. I won't go there into the political side of it. I don't know. I don't remember it, to be honest. But what I do know is that all the factories shut down, and it was called upon the PMO to get them all back up again. And within 24 hours, with the leverage of the technology that they had, and the people that they had, and the communications with all the various engineers around the globe, and etc., they were back up and running, producing oil within 24 hours. And the whole place had been you know, hit by bombs and all sorts yeah. of things. So they showed me what it was like after, and then they showed me what it was like 24 hours later, and it was unrecognizable. It was incredible what they had done. So that's a great example of a PMO that, that's doing things. And Fannie Mae, you know, they too, incredible, they won. And, uh, and that was because of their combination of various different disciplines beyond just your prescriptive waterfall techniques to get things done they really embraced different ways of working that were relevant for for those who know Fannie Mae's large insurance finance mortgage organization and so the way they were in touch with their employees as well as their customer base as well as the leadership as to where they wanted to go how they coordinated the collaboration really stood out of miles and and yes they were also enabled from a technical perspective but the role they played was much more collaborative, you know, interactions with customers, interactions with employees, interactions with idea generators and the strategy and collating it all together to have a really effective, coordinated suite of programs and projects that executed really efficiently with complete transparency and very clear to explain, very clear to see, under control, very calm, beautiful. And that's why they won.
0: Well, and you know what's really interesting about them uh, historically is that this ePMO has been around eight or nine years. However, oh, Fannie Mae has been in the PMO space for a long time, meaning, I mean, they were doing PMOs way back when I was there before they did their restatement. The entire restatement was built and run based on this enterprise PMO model which is super cool. So I remember being there at the restatement in the room with this woman named Jackie who was setting up the enterprise PMO for restatement, helping her talk through how it would be organized and run. So they have lived and breathed. Let's make this enterprise PMO approach work for a long time. And it's proven for them to be very successful in making really big change happen, right? All the things they had to do with Sarbanes-Oxley and all of the compliance and all of the restatement and all of the changes to get to a new Fannie Mae, all of that was built on the engine and happened through the engine of a PMO. So I think it's and really
1: actually, cool. I'm really glad you brought that up because I failed to mention that. That's exactly right. I think they did start off with, like we talked earlier, with a, with a number of different PMOs and they collapsed them all together yep. to create the EPMO, yep. which is exactly what Gartner's talking about. These guys have already done it. And like you say, they're dealing with massive complex programs which impact the entire organization and all their client base. Like you say, Sarbanes oxley's is one really. of them. And they did that very efficiently and, and it was very good to see, yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's really cool to see that and know that journey myself to be able to see You know, it's part of where I learned some of the things I've learned that I teach my students these days, and that's from way back when. So anyway, I think it's pretty cool. So thank you for doing all of this. Thank you for helping us help maybe give PMO leaders a little bit of sense of ease and excite them and empower them to really embrace this opportunity and the future. So before we wrap up here, I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts and takeaways for our audience on the future of PMOs, the future of projects, and how they can really capture the opportunity that's in front of them.
1: First of all, let me start by saying thank you for the opportunities to have a, a really sort of open, straight talk. It's nice. And uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, look, you can't ignore COVID and you can't ignore that COVID has been a catalyst for change. So change is now going to be, you know, uh, I saw some, uh, like... Um, a uh, multi-choice question and this is probably an old joke now but I still think it's a really good one and it was like a multiple choice question that said okay what has been the biggest driver of transformation in your organization? A is it the CEO? B is it the CFO? Or C is it COVID-19? And you know and I think it's COVID-19 yeah so COVID-19 is a big change and I think the way work is going to be done in the future is very is going to be very different to the way it is now and I think some of the things that we are working through today this virtual world that we're in, some of those things will continue, and some of them I think we'll leave behind in the post COVID world, and we'll be glad to be back to the norm. But overall, I think there's going to be a lot of change. And one of the big changes I think is going to be a proliferation of projects. Straight yeah, away, organizations, governments, academia are going to have to stand themselves back up again. You know, I mean, everybody got caught by the shock of, of this pandemic, so enterprises are suffering. The airline industry is a mess. You know, construction has gone through its own challenges now. There's a debate on whether you need to have head offices anymore and everyone's happy yeah. to be working in the countryside, etc. Smart cities, where's the value proposition for smart cities gone? So what's next? So there's going to be change. And there's going to be transformation. A lot of organizations embracing technology as fast as they can, transforming their businesses. The retail sector going from high street shopping to digital, for sure. And not as much resistance to that anymore because of the new world. And that's going to lead to a proliferation of projects. And they need to be coordinated at the macro level, at the micro level. And that plays a role. Therein lies a massive role in the tactical next 5, 10, 15 years, for sure for PMOs and for us as project managers and the Project Management Institute, playing our role to making sure that people are enabled in that. So that's the first thing I would say. COVID is gonna have a huge impact. The volume of work coming over the horizon post-COVID is gonna be huge as we stand the whole of the world and the economy back up again. The second thing is there's gonna be a huge continued move towards more and more automation and beyond repetitive to cognitive. So that's gonna happen So at at the moment Computers do repetitive tasks, and you've got AI that's starting to do some cognitive thinking and some logic thinking, et cetera, and helping you. But, and it will go on and on and on, and it will continue to. So embrace it. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to free up time. That's the second thing I would say. Free up time for you to learn more about the power skills, more about the special skills, the super skills that you need that are truly human skills that get stuff done because technology on its own doesn't get anything done. And it's those human skills and that empathy... And that sense of purpose that I think people need to embrace and understand and learn more and hone those skills because they're going to be very valuable. And then the third point I would say, which is really important, I believe, is understand top to bottom your organization. Yes. Have business skills. Build on your business skills. Understand. Read the Financial Times, you know. I don't yes. know, Read the Financial Times or, what, or find a way to understand about how a business ticks if you don't really know right now now learn about it from top to bottom be able to talk at the strategic level and contribute at the strategic level and be able to coach decision making gets pushed further and further down the organization with all your experience and all your knowledge which you have now hopefully relearned that you've unlearned that you've been told (laughs) and use it to coach others in those so there's the three things i'd say which makes the pmo super relevant in my mind
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. You heard it here, guys.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Laura. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the time, Laura. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here today, Sunil. There you have it, PMO leaders. That is what the future holds for the PMO and project management. So don't forget to join us for our free masterclass on this six-step process to build a high-impact PMO. In this training, you'll learn exactly what it takes to show, not sell, the value of your PMO, how to pivot toward an impact driver model that your business leaders will love, and finally, earn and keep your seat at the table. Everything Sunil and I talked about today is what's to come for PMOs and project management, and I wanna make sure you have everything you need to thrive in the future. So bring your PMO on this journey with me, and we will make sure it is a high impact PMO together. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO to sign up for my free training today. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. I'll see you there. All right, all of you impact drivers, thank you so much for participating in this session, and we'll keep the conversation going. Bye-bye for now.